It's a real exciting time for our church, isn't it? Here we are, a church that's been here for, I mean, in the, in, we've been in the community for, um, I mean, since the, the early 90s, but we've been, as Grace Fellowship Church for Thomas, we've just been here, we just had our three-year anniversary in September, we've been in Campbell County's Newport when we started back in 2013, and I think one of the greatest things for us as a church is that we get to participate, particularly as a multi-site church, that we get to participate in things like this, where our one church, which is in multiple locations, can celebrate what God is doing in sending out people like Andrew and Taylor to do the work of the gospel. They really are wonderful and unique people. They're, kind of, they're the kind of people who are like, you know, people are smart and then people are scary smart. You're glad those people are Christians, right? Because it could be really bad if they were against you. You're glad they're on your team. That's kind of Andrew and Taylor. They're great. We love them. We're like, whoo, that's scary smart. So glad you love Jesus. So we're really, really excited. I would encourage you to check out their website, which is liveglobal.net org. It's one of them. L-I-V-E-G-L-O-B-A-L, liveglobal. I think it's net, liveglobal.net or liveglobal.org. You could see what they're doing and what, how they're partnering with different people and how the Lord is using the ministry among them. A couple of things just before we get started. I would love a cup of coffee. Why, thank you, son. And something else that I would love is for if you have the opportunity to squeeze in away from the aisle, please do that. Uh, just as people show up, it'll be helpful to have these end seats available in case anybody comes in late or something like that. So if there's a seat more towards the center that could free up an aisle seat, do me a favor and squeeze over that way. That would be very, very helpful. One other thing uh, that we could do. Oh, Dave, are we recording? Great. Uh, one other thing that I'd like to do is just, you're going to have to follow the bouncing Peter. It's nobody's fault other than my own. I made a quick change in my sermon. So what we're going to do is you'll see on your outline, if you're like a real strict like, I follow the outline exactly as it's printed. Prepare to be disappointed, because we're going to do 1B, 1A. Just hope you can handle this. 1B, 1A, instead of 1A, 1B. It's really not that big of a deal, but I know there's some people who may seize. So I wanted to make sure that you knew that as we go into it so that we can all be ready. The vast majority of you are like, it doesn't matter. There are some of you who are like, okay, okay. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do 1B, 1A, instead of 1A, 1B. And now... Would you turn in your copy of the scriptures to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. If you are physically able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Follow along silently as I read from Matthew 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. This is what the word of God says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy." Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven." For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. 
You may be seated. So we've spent the last several weeks looking at the Beatitudes. Today we're focusing on Matthew 5 and verse 9. Matthew 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now when it comes to the Beatitudes, I think there are two things that come to mind when we're considering why these are, these are such upside-down teaching and what's so upside-down about the Beatitudes. Two things that come to mind. First, it's the very people to whom Jesus is announcing the kingdom to. The, the crowd, if you were to read at the end of Matthew 4, going into the sermon, going into the Sermon on the Mount, the crowd that was there are, are not the, the heroes of society, but the spiritual and societal zeros of society that Jesus is choosing to announce the kingdom to first and foremost. So that's a, a, the first thing that we look at is we think, what's so upside down about this, this audience? So I wonder, who does Jesus have in mind here and what's so upside down about that? Well, Matthew 5 and verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, if you were to consult Google, which if we all admit we consult for way more things than we should each and every day, if you were to consult, like we just kind of blindly believe and follow everything that the thing kind of says. You say, I don't, you kind of do. So if you were to consult Google and look up what the word peacemaker means, you would find this. A person who brings about peace, especially by reconciling adversaries. A person who brings about peace, especially by reconciling adversaries. An arbitrator, a mediator, a negotiator, a go-between, or an intermediary. A peacemaker is a person who brings about peace, especially by reconciling adversaries. And here's the thing when it comes to peacemakers. Here's the thing that we need to consider and remember, particularly in our day, but also in Jesus' day, about who he was addressing. And I would just say this. Peacemakers are not popular. Peacemakers are not popular. (coughs) Excuse me. In thinking about this sermon, I started to think about, uh, think through who the peacemakers perhaps of 21st century society might be. Uh, how might we think through this as 21st century Christians and try to wrap our minds around maybe what exactly was Jesus saying in that day? When he said, blessed are the peacemakers, who would have come to the minds of the people who were originally in that audience? Like, what is he talking about? Who might come to our minds? And something that I kind of realize is a common denominator, as I hope you'll see as I explain, is that peacemakers are just not popular. They're rarely thought of as the heroes. They're rarely center stage. They rarely get the recognition for what they do. So the Red Sox are the 2018 world champions of baseball. And most importantly, the Yankees are not. And immediately after the game, immediately after the World Series, okay, uh, they set up a stage, usually along the first baseline. And, and after that, Uh, What they do is the commissioner of baseball comes out and presents the Red Sox with the World Series trophy, and then they present a trophy and a car, a vehicle of some type, to who? The most valuable umpire. No. The most valuable player, right? There's no MVU. There's an MVP, right? We look at who do we think was the most valuable player to this team throughout the series. Who would, who would we present an, uh, an award to? And they present an award to the most valuable player. Where are the umpires during this time? You don't know, right? Do you care? Does anybody care? 
Do you ever see right after the life? You ever look, watch, and I'm sure it's the same in every sport with any sports official. When the game ends and the team goes nuts and the crowd goes nuts, do you know what the umpires do? They do this. They just walk away. Like they just kind of disappear into nowhere and they just, they're gone. Why? Their job is done. They've, they've, they've done what they were supposed to do. They've, they've enforced the rules. They've ensured the game was played fairly. They made judgment calls. If there was an altercation, an argument, or a dispute, they've made it right or tried to or took notes to see who started it. If they needed to eject somebody, they ejected somebody. They made judgment calls. Quite frankly, if there wasn't peace, they made it. But when the game is over, they walk off the field and out of our lives. And there's no MVU ceremony. We just want to take a, take a moment to acknowledge the most valuable umpire. Now, who's the most valuable official at this game? That just doesn't happen. That's not a thing. In fact, technically speaking, particularly if you look at college football, do you know how officials arrive and leave the stadium? With a police escort. Because they're not super popular. They're not loved. They're not lauded. People aren't looking after them to say, wow, we want to meet these people. Let's get their autograph. No, they want to stone them. So instead of having them coming in or out, uh, just like everybody else, because they're not popular, and if they're on one side of the love or hate side, it's usually the hate side, right? They're escorted out with a police escort. They're not popular. Peacemakers aren't popular. Think about a police officer being called to settle a domestic dispute. A police officer showing up to settle a domestic dispute. They don't know exactly what's going on. They don't know exactly what they're showing up to. Both sides are kind of screaming at them, their versions of what happened. But neither of them really are excited to see the police officer. Why? Because he's not there to take sides. He's there to figure out what's going on and to try to bring what? Peace to that situation. But the two people, they're not like, oh, so glad you're here. We, they don't really know. Wait, is he, is he for me? What if he's for you? What if he's for the other person? So they're not like all of a sudden, oh, thank God you're here. They're not the most popular person in the room. They show up to that dispute and they're trying to settle things and trying to figure things out. But this version of peacemaking does not all of a sudden bring about applause and gratitude from the people who are right there because nobody knows which way this thing is going to go. Right? That police officer, she's not there to take sides. He's not there to help one person more than the other. They're there to make peace. You don't know what side they're on. The, the peacemaker is not really the most popular person. And this is, let me just say something else that came to my mind that I think is somewhat related. But even like the, the most peaceful child of a family, which is usually in what, what child? The what child? The middle child, Right? Usually, they just kind of fly under the radar. They're not like when you think of them, you think of that family, you don't necessarily think of that child first and foremost. It's just, yeah, you know, we have Justin's our oldest, uh, Silas is our young, youngest, Emma's the only girl, and we have What's-His-Face. And, and, and that's just kind of how you, how you kind of feel about it, you know? And, and, and he's usually the one who gets along with, you know who? Everybody. Everybody. That kid could play with our oldest. That kid could hang out with an adult. That kid could then play with the youngest. That kid could play with Emma, who's a girl, could play with a friend who's a guy. Boom, 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 boom. And I don't know if that's the way it is with your kids. I'm not a middle child. I'm not that kid. I'm the oldest in my family. Um, But that's what you can kind of see. He kind of, at times, brings about peace. He's the constant. He's really the source of conflict. He's usually the one bringing about peace, or at least looking at the others in conflict and going like this. Like, who? Why do you guys do these things? Be peaceful like me, like the twig on the back of a mighty stream. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, and then goes on to say that they would be called the sons of God, 
And a lot is implied with sonship in Jesus' time, right? Based on what they would have had rights to as sons, what that really means, how they're being brought into the kingdom, not just as people who can hang out, but sons of the living God. Jesus is essentially turning their world upside down as he once again announces the kingdom being for a type of person who never gets fanfare, who never gets accolades, and is quite frankly very, very often quickly forgotten, sometimes half-hated to begin with, once the issue has passed. But this person gets a highly honored position in the kingdom of God. They shall be called sons of God. And this is who Jesus, one of the people that Jesus is announcing the kingdom to, one of the types of people who would like, blessed are they, just like we've gone through the rest of the Beatitudes, right? Like, blessed are, the, blessed are the, those who mourn. Why would you ever be blessed to be people who mourn? Blessed are the meek. Meek rhymes with weak. Why would you be blessed to be meek? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Since when is being so hungry and thirsty for anything in life so awesome? But there's a different meaning. There's a different way of looking at it. There's a way that Jesus is turning their value system upside down. Peacemakers are not popular. Now, I want you to look at Matthew 5 and verse 9. Look at our text today. And I want you to uh, follow along as I read it. If I read it wrong, I want you to do something to let me know. Throw something, preferably a blunt object. I don't know. Just do something like say stop, say wrong. Something, okay? Really do this. Don't just grin. Like, really do this. Okay, so Matthew 5 and verse 9. I'm just going to read it, and I, you stop me if I'm wrong somehow. I'm a little scared. I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they... Ah. Whoa. <laughs> so, if you're listening online, an object was just thrown at me. It was a pen. Not as blunt as I was hoping. Do you need this back? Here. It's behind you. Yeah. Sorry. It wasn't David Gottrud, but I threw it back at him because it's fun. Blessed are, I said, the peacekeepers. That's when the thing came flying at me. Please don't do it again. Because that's not what the text says. It says, blessed are the peace what? So it's important for us to realize that keeping peace and making peace are two totally different things. Keeping peace and making peace are two totally different things. Let me see if I can explain to you. If one is keeping peace, it's implied that that person, like, that he or she already has it, right? You can't keep something you don't have. Uh, They're already living in it. She already has it. He already has it. Why? Because you can't keep what you don't have. Peacekeeping isn't the same as peacemaking. With peacekeeping, it's more like maintaining peace that is already in existence. And that's not a bad thing. That's good. Uh, It's just good as long as the peace is there. But when the peace goes by the wayside, which in any situation, in any relationship is bound to happen because we're sinful people and we live in a sinful fallen world and we're by nature selfish and we by nature choose things that are not honoring to the Lord like ourselves. When the peace falls by the wayside, um, that's peacekeeping doesn't always work. Then it's time to make peace. Peace can only last so long because there's always some kind of conflict between Two people, between two nations, between two ideologies, between two political leaders, there's always peace that falls by the wayside. 
So if you look at Matthew 5 and verse 9 and you misread or mismemorize, which is, Google says was not a word, but I right-clicked and added to the dictionary, so it's a word as of two days ago. So if you mismemorize or misread Matthew 5, 9 as blessed are the peacekeepers, you're going to walk away with a very different thing. Because it doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. It says blessed are the peacemakers. So when there's, when there's no peace to be kept, there's a choice we have to make as kingdom people, right? We can fake peace or we can make peace. The Bible says only one of those things are blessed. So if you're tempted to avoid the conflict and just keep the peace, just make like it isn't there, just brush it under the rug or just move on, that is not peacemaking. That's peace faking, right? It's not a real, there's not really peace there. Like, you know there's something there that you could maybe try to, try to work out, but that would take time and effort. It would be awkward. It requires some sort of sacrifice on, on, on every single time when you want to make peacemaking, when you want to make peace with somebody. It requires a sacrifice on your part as you initiate that, as you take that first step. You say, you know what, this is probably not that big of a deal. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a bigger deal in my mind than it is in her mind, or a bigger deal in my mind than it is in his mind. Maybe I don't really need to... To make peace. I'm going to kind of fake it till I make it, right? I'm going to kind of fake like things are cool, ignore the knot in my stomach, ignore what I just know to be true, because maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm feeling this, but the other person's not feeling it. And if I try to make peace with them and they think nothing's wrong, that would be super awkward. I don't want to do that, right? We try to rationalize in our mind, and as we rationalize, we make rational lies, And we make things in our mind make sense that typically don't really make sense. We could talk ourselves out of peacemaking and into peace faking. But that's not what kingdom people do, is it? That's not what the Beatitudes tell us. That's not what Jesus tells us as he kicks off his Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the peace, not keepers, not fakers, but the peacemakers. In your outline, you'll see Proverbs 29 and verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Be be, uh, people-pleasing, doing your best to avoid the conflict with somebody else. The Bible says that actually lays a snare. A snare is a trap. There's a trap that's being laid for us if we choose to live our lives. Instead of fearing God, we fear man or woman, the people that we live with, the people that we dwell with, the people that we live this life with. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So if we live our lives avoiding awkward situations or avoiding the effort that has to be put into making peace with someone else, we are living fearing, fearing people more than we're fearing God. We're living more concerned about what people think of us and my own personal comfort than whether or not we're in obedience to the word of God. And there's a trap that's being laid there. And the trap is simply this. The more we brush it under the rug, right? You lift up the rug, you brush it under You can get away with that maybe for a little while, right? But in reality, if we were to lift up the rug, what? It's still there. And the rug can only take so much before it does what? Buckles. And you're going to trip over it eventually. At some point, 
at some point in a way that's probably usually much more painful than just cleaning up the little mess that begins with. The more we, we lift up the rug and we brush stuff under the rug and we piece fake, right? It's like, no, there's nothing there. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to that dirt under the rug. No, no, it's, it's fine and we just don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Eventually, just along our normal course of life, we mean well, but all of a sudden we're like, where did that come from? And it trips us up. And usually that trip, usually, I, I would like to say actually every time, but always and never are long periods of time. So usually, like most, most, most times, that trip, tripping over that bump, is way more costly, way, takes way more effort on our part to recover from than if we had just dealt with conflict and made peace to begin with. The fear of man lays a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Kingdom people want something more than temporary feeling of not having to work through a conflict, not having to make peace. Kingdom people don't fake peace. They make peace. So it's those who move toward opportunities to bring about reconciliation, either between each other or maybe even as a mediary, an intermediary between two other people, right? It's the police officer who works towards the danger to try to bring about peace. It's the, it's the, the sports official who's not going to be like, oh, I'll just see what's going to happen, but goes towards that fight or says, no, let's really go to the tape. No, let's really figure it out. Let's really get it right. That's the person that's making peace. The person who moves towards that which is a conflict and not away from it because they don't want to fake peace. They don't want to just say, oh, I'm just going to make believe it's not really there. They're into not just keeping peace, but saying, let's make peace if it's really not there. Let's really make peace because that's what we see our Lord and Savior do for us. And kingdom people should be like their king. So what about you? Think of the last time you had an opportunity to resolve a conflict, which Some of you in a crowd this room, it had to be on the way to church today. I'm just convinced on the way to church, on the way to work, on the way to bed, Satan's like, yes, let's let's get him. So think of the last opportunity that you had to resolve a conflict, either between you and someone else, or maybe you're that awkward third wheel and you see two people who are just at odds, but you have a relationship to some degree with both of them. What do you do? What about you? Do you back away from that opportunity? Or do you say, I'm going to take a step. Okay, now you're not a cop. You're not a referee. You don't have a whistle. You don't have a badge. But if you have a relationship with that person, maybe you can take a step towards that person and say, is it me? Or I just get this weird, tense feeling whenever the two of you are in my kitchen, that community group. Like something's, are you guys cool? It looks weird, it feels weird, it smells weird. Are things okay? The last couple of times we've had dinner with you, it's just seemed like there's something up. Are things cool? Is there something that's, that's up between the two of you? What do you do during those times? That, oh, it's not, it's not my business. It's, it's, I just, I'm sure everything's fine. God is in control. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants, right? 
But kingdom people don't fake peace. They don't keep peace. They strive to make peace. It's, it's not their job, like, if you don't make peace between those people, you know, bad, bad boy, bad girl. But we try. We take a step. And certainly if there's not peace between us, between you and someone else, striving to make a step to say, okay, things are something, we just got to talk. I feel like things are, are off. And I really want peace. You may not even be the best of friends, but you don't have to be at odds. You don't have to be enemies. You can be at peace. The last time you had an opportunity to resolve a conflict between you and someone else, or maybe to be an agent of peace, a person of peace that can help two people come together and have peace, what did you do? Did you, did you make peace or did you fake peace? <clears throat> Excuse me. Two upside-down aspects to the Beatitudes, the who and the how. Who the kingdom is for and how kingdom people live. It's easy to fake peace. Sometimes it's even, it's even easy to keep peace. It's not easy or popular to make peace when there is no peace. But Jesus tells us that this is what kingdom people do, declaring the kingdom has come for people such as these and says that we are to do likewise. And with that in mind, I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to show you something from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Because peacemakers are not popular. Peacemakers are not peace fakers. They're not peacekeepers. I want you to see something else here. Peacemakers are not always prosperous. They don't always win. They don't always succeed. I want you to take a look at Romans 12. Uh, Let's start in verse 14, if we could. Romans 12, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Then verse 18 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think this is one of the most helpful texts in all of Scripture when it comes to peacemaking. Now look at verse 18 and imagine it just said, your, ver- your version I'm guessing is similar to mine where verse 18 is split up into three sections, probably by two commas, right? If possible, comma, so far as it depends upon you, comma, live peaceably with all. Does that something like your, okay, good. Your Bible says something like that. Now imagine verse 18 did not have the first two sections. And we just went from verse 17, right? So we just went, uh, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Live peaceably with all. That's a pretty weighty command, right? Like, oh, like every, like everyone, I have to make sure that I'm at peace with everyone. There's no, but that's not what the Word of God says. What the Word of God says is we're supposed to live peaceably with all, but God, in His goodness and His faithfulness and His kindness, gives us two caveats. 
and notices two things there that I want to call your attention to. See, living peaceably with all, that's a high calling and, quite frankly, an impossible calling. So I want you to t- pay attention to these two caveats that are there. First of all, the first part of Romans twelve eighteen, like Romans twelve eighteen a it says, if possible. What does this imply? That it's not always possible. If possible. It's not always possible to live at peace. So while we're called to live peaceably with all, we're told by the Lord in his word that it's not always going to be possible. It's not always going to work. You can only do so much. It takes two to make a thing go right. So we, there's, there's, you can't, you, that wasn't in the notes, that just came to me. So, so you, you, you can't, <laughs> I'm trying to get over that. <sighs> yeah, sorry. It takes two people to make that happen. It takes two people to live at peace. They're, they're, if possible, so far as depends upon you, live peaceably with all. It's not always going to be possible. You can only do so much. It takes two. Now, maybe a situation comes to your mind as we're discussing these things, and you read these words, say, if possible. Great. There we go. That's my out. It's not always possible, and it takes two and that's why I'm not at peace with her. That's why, like, me, he and I, we just, we're just not cool. It just wasn't meant to be. It's not always possible. You know, it would be nice if that would happen, but it's just not possible. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at Romans 12, verse 18. Look at those first two words, if possible. Do you see that? And I just want you to look up here and consider this. Is it impossible because of you? It's not always possible. I just want to know, is the reason it's not possible, not just circumstantial, can't find the person, or they're surely not interested, I've tried, Let's stop thinking about other people and let's think about ourselves right here, right now. Might you be the reason it's impossible to be at peace with that other, that other person? Maybe there's someone God keeps bringing to your mind or maybe God has not seen fit to remove this person from your life despite your prayers, and the opportunity to make peace is there, and you see this phrase, if possible, and you're like, cool, this is your subconscious talking, all right? So I'm going to make like this is your subconscious. Well, if I make it impossible, then the if possible caveat can be mine. I can play that card. Does does that make sense? If, If I make it so that it the possibility of reconciling, the possibility of peacemaking, I can actually orchestrate things. That, oh, it's just, not, it's just not possible. So you see them in a store, and suddenly you remember that other thing you had to get, so you dog leg left, and you're like, oh, it would have been, yeah, we didn't, we didn't cross paths. I mean, I saw the person. I kind of, I mean, I twisted my ankle trying to get away, but, but it, there's, I saw the person, uh, but we didn't, we didn't really cross paths. See what I mean? You talk yourself into, oh, it just, it just wasn't possible. You see them at work, right? You can't help it. And you just kind of smile or you do an about face. 
you have class with them or you pass them in a dorm hallway or you see them every week at church or you live with them under the the same roof in the same home. Maybe you share a room. Maybe you share a bed. Maybe you shared a bed. But that's no longer the case. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible. And sometimes we can get ourselves into thinking, you know what, you just can't win them all. Right? Fallen finite world. Can't win them all. You win some, you lose some. Or, or these, these things happen in life. It's just not possible. And I just want you to consider that if it truly is impossible, is it because you've made it impossible? That in front of your heart, perhaps once was a welcome mat that you have now taken in. And the door is shut. And quite frankly, you've changed the locks. It's If possible implies it's not always possible. But the application for us today isn't, hey, what are you going to do? You know, just life is short. It's just hard. That's not the application for us. The application for us, this is coming out of Jesus telling us, it's blessed are the what? Peacemakers. So we should always have this, this, we should always be looking towards making peace, not not avoiding that opportunity, not, not shirking away, but making peace. And Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, and I just want to make sure that if it's impossible, that's not because we've made it impossible. Could be circumstantial, could be a choice that the other person's made, could be them stiff-arming you despite your attempts to make peace. So what about you? That was just really heavy on my heart as I was preparing this message. Do I make it impossible? Or do I just make it really, really hard? Right? No. It's not impossible. They can come to me anytime they want. Right? Anytime they want. Bring it. I'd be happy to have that conversation. I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. Right? Super approachable. Yes, make peace. I never told them they couldn't. They can bring it on. That's how I sometimes make it impossible. So um, I can do that impression so well because I've practiced that throughout my life. I'm here, and it's kind of like this chest-bumping version of making peace. Yeah, I'm ready. Why don't they talk? My number hasn't changed. I've been in the same place for so long. But I make it really hard. What about you? Are you an agent of peace? Or perhaps in these situations, you're an agent of making the peace impossible. If possible, yep, check that box. It's not. And then we fake the peace instead of make the peace. Have I been the one to make it impossible? Two verses later in Romans 12, verse 20, we read these words. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals 
on his head. It's interesting there. I couldn't help but notice as I'm reading the Word of God earlier this week and preparing for this message. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. It doesn't really say right there, if your enemy is hungry, make him your best friend so that everything is cool and it doesn't feel awkward and then feed him. If he is thirsty, make sure that you're totally fine with... It it doesn't say that. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And you know what that kind of shows me? What, 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 What that shows me is God would have me take a step. He would have me looking towards peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Kingdom peace. This is what we do as kingdom people. What's a step I can take towards peace? The other person may be completely uninterested... Right? And I'm not going to be like, what's that cartoon with the big dog and the little dog? Hey, Spike, hi, Spike, hi, Spike. Do you, do, you know, do you remember what I'm talking about? Does any, you don't have to remember the name. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Does anybody remember the name? The dog's name is Spike, right? Hi, Spike, hi, Spike. Hey, we're going to go Spike, hi, Spike. We're not, that's not what God is calling us to do. Hey, can we have peace? Hey, can we be best friends? Hey, can we do, do this? Hey, I'm really sorry. Hey, I was hoping maybe we could do this. Hey, God says we should be peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacemakers. I want to make peace. That's not what God is calling us to do. But maybe there's a step, a step. in the direction of peace, that we could be making peace between us and someone else. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thinking of the other person and thinking, okay, what's a step I can take for me to still reflect the kingdom-mindedness that I should have, the kingdom, that I'm a kingdom person. This person has nothing to do, they want nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. I still want to be a peacemaker. In fact, I don't even want this person to be my enemy. I want them to, I love them. But they think we're enemies right now. Want a cookie? Ah, okay, okay. But just taking a step, a step towards peace. If your enemy is hungry, make it all better. No, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. It doesn't say if your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat, and then he will no longer be your enemy. Cook it well. But it says if your enemy is hungry, just give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. Peace doesn't always come easily, and it rarely comes immediately. But it only takes a step in the right direction, a step in the direction of peace to begin perhaps the peacemaking process with someone else. What step might you take this week with that person that you're not at peace with? Or maybe you're privy. God has put you in a relationship, a relational context between two other people. And you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to initiate a conversation. I'm just going to ask them, are things cool? Is there, is there any way I can help? How can I pray? How can I bring about peace? Because this is what kingdom people do. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, here's the thing with the Prince of Peace. God made genuine, lasting peace with sinners like you and me. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to look, if you would, at verse 19. For in him, this is Paul talking about Christ, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Look at verse 20. See where it says making peace? It's the only other time in the New Testament that that Greek word is used. It's a slightly different form. Is in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is the only other place. So if you're like, well, how do I find an example of peacemaking in the New Testament? Where else can I look? It's going to be Jesus. The only other time you could find this word used is speaking of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, how, how through him he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. And how did he do it? By the what? By the blood of his cross. So I take you back to our Google definition of peacemaker. A person who brings about peace, especially by reconciling adversaries, a mediator or a go-between. Does that not describe Jesus Christ? A person who brings about peace, especially by reconciling adversaries, making, being our mediator, being our go-between, between God, who is holy and 100% pure, and me, who is sinful and can never bridge that gap, and Jesus comes into the situation and joins us together. Jesus makes it possible by the blood of his cross for me to have a relationship with God. Romans 5 and verse 1 in your outline, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God made peace with us even when it was unpopular. Consider Jesus, Philippians 2, verse 5 and following, who, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but still emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Surely we know, just as a casual reading through the Gospels, that as Jesus made things right between us and God, he did not put him in the most popular situation, did not put him center stage, did not put him in the spotlight where people would think, this guy's really awesome. But Jesus did it. He made peace with us even though it was unpopular. And here's the other thing. God is always prosperous in making peace with us. There was no way for us to have peace with God other than King Jesus making it possible, taking not only a step, but going the whole distance, going the whole distance, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And here's the thing for us when it comes to being children of God. Matthew 5 and verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And quite frankly, to some degree, kids typically look like, act like, strive to imitate their parents. We have an example set forth for us in our Lord. We are called the children of God, the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We should want to be imitating our dad. We should want to be looking towards him as our example for peacemaking. We should take him into consideration what he did for us in stepping into our mess and then bridging us, bridging that chasm between us and God, giving us the relationship that we have with him. We should do likewise. So I want to call our uh, friends up who are going to be helping with communion because we have the opportunity to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ 
has made peace between us and God. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says that we've been given this blessed ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, for those of us who are Christians, we know that message of reconciliation, right? We know that God has made things right with us, and we could never have made them right on our own. And if that's you, whether you're just visiting, maybe you're visiting because it's your first time here, or you came for the commissioning service that we had in the beginning, if that's you, if you love Jesus Christ and you think, I know that message of reconciliation, I've been reconciled with God, then I want to invite you to celebrate communion with us, to take the bread, to take the cup, and to celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us. But if that's not you, if you hear that message and you think, I know that, but I don't love that. I don't believe that. I'm still kind of, still just kind of testing it out, testing the waters. Let me encourage you from 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. We are ambassadors of Christ as Christians. God makes his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look to God and ask him to reconcile you to himself because of what Jesus Christ has done. Don't look to your record. Don't look to your strives to make things better, to have your good outweigh your bad. Look to Christ who died on the cross for sinners like you and like me and who has wiped clean every spot and blemish that was on my record and given me the hope of Christ and the record of Christ and the love of Christ and a relationship with God the Father. It's our hope and our joy to invite you to be reconciled to God today through Jesus Christ. Good God, we look before you, or we look to you and we ask you to Bless this time as we reflect upon the peacemaking process that you initiated for us, that you started, worked through, and completed for us. When you cried out on the cross, it is finished. It's paid in full the debt that we would owe you. You did that for us. Thank you for being a peacemaker, making peace between sinners like us and, and, and a holy righteous, perfect God such as you. Be with us, we pray, as we recall and reflect and celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.